You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. Hey, our topic today is food, but it's food from a different angle from what we usually talk about. It's not like some chef or some new restaurant. Uh, It's about theory in terms of better ways to grow food. And we're going to talk about this. uh, And with me is uh, Michael Reshord, who's the form director of a a local organization called Recirculating Forms. And we're going to find out exactly what that means, but it's very... uh, uh, exciting effort that's going to New Orleans, and actually New Orleans is sort of at the at the um, at the vanguard of this. And there are some groups that have sprung out of this, and then we see efforts around town. Anyway, Michael, thank you very much. Let's begin by tell. Okay, well, tell us what does that mean? Recirculating farms. Um, so recirculating farm uh, for us means to recycle as many nutrients and resources as possible. So everything that we do on the farm, um, we, it's a very closed loop system is what we like to call it. So not many things get, nothing really gets wasted. Um, and we try to reuse as much as we possibly can. Um, on the aquaponic side, a recirculating farm is where you have water that is constantly circulating throughout the system from your, uh, your pond or your your fish tank uh, up into wherever you're growing your plants, and then b- that clean water is then put back into uh, where your fish are. And so on the water side, then the part of it is that water is just recycled uh, and used over and over in different ways. How is that cleaner? It seems to me if it's already going through the process. Yeah, so when you do it uh, in an aquaponics system, uh, you actually save a lot of water. You use about 80 to 90% less water than traditional in-ground growing. And it's because you're not losing so much to evaporation um, and to uh, aspiration from the plants and things like that. So when it's going through the aquaponics system, uh, you just are recirculating water over and over. And you have media that helps trap the fish waste. And then there's bacteria in there that break down that fish waste into available nutrients for the plants. And the plants absorb those nutrients and help filter that water and clean water goes back into the, the fish tank. And so that system just continues to recycle that water using a lot less energy and a lot less water than traditional growing. And you can do this in a very customized setting. So it allows you to do it on a very small scale, like your backyard or your desktop, all the way to large scale commercial solutions. Um, and then it also allows you to produce food about three times as quickly. Right. Uh, so somebody's in their field and they're they're watering their tomatoes, sorry. Then what happens under your system to that water that, that was just used for tomatoes? So if it's in the aquaponic system, that water will naturally flow back into the fish tank. Um, our in-ground systems are not recirculating. To have a recirculating in-ground system, we would have to dig out a very large pond of some sort. And we don't have the space for that, unfortunately. But those systems are possible. So what happens to the water? 
So the water that we would use to like water one of our in-ground plants will simply go into the ground and, you know, do its normal process of filtering through the water table and or most likely in this heat, it's most likely evaporating. Um, but the water that is in our fish tank, we actually, uh, that's in our aquaponic system, we even use that sometimes to water some of our in-ground plants because it's so nutrient rich. Uh, and it's a, it's a great liquid fertilizer for our in-ground plants. So what is your source of the water? Um, we collect rainwater, but we also use city water. Um, we like to, we have a filter on our on our spigot. So a lot of our city water is filtered. And we also do dechlorination processes by using air stones and vitamin C to get out some of the chemicals that we use to sanit that the city uses to sanitize water. So how much better is, let's go back to a tomato again. How much better how much better is a product that is going through your system than something that's regular store bought? Um, there's a lot of big benefits to having something that's going through our system. One, we are local. So that is the number one thing. A lot of food degrades over time. A lot of the things that we get in the grocery store were picked a long time before they actually reach our plate. And as that time goes on, uh, nutrients decay. And so when nutrients decay, flavor decays as well. Uh, so we have that. We also have, uh, we're a lot less um, destructive on the environment. We're actually a regenerative farm, so we don't believe that we cause any real destruction on the environment. And everything that we do, we try to uh, we try to fix by putting more into the land than that we take from it. Um, and then also, like I mentioned nutrients earlier, nutrients equal flavor. And when you grow in the way that we grow, uh, food is a lot more nutrient dense. Uh, the soil that it's growing in, the media beds that they're growing in are a lot more packed with life. And life is in the soil and life in the media beds is what gives uh, plants nutrients uh, and gives them, you know, their bold colors and their bold flavors. And that is something you're just not going to get from these large scale agricultural farms, uh, where they're doing fruit or or they're doing uh, produce. And that's because they're using chemicals and things that actually kills the life in the soil and the water around them. And when you kill that life, you don't get the same benefits in your food. Well, I, I keep on going back to the tomato. I promise this will be the last time in this interview. <laughs> but the reason it comes to mind is if, if I think about like the Creole tomato. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's one product that actually has a local identification to it. And it's a wonderful tomato. It's a great tomato. And from, from what I know about it, okay, it's grown like in Plaquemines or St. Bernard Parish and it's by the former there. And, and it's conceivable that it's on the vine in the morning and it's on a, a stand along the highway in the afternoon and the mm -hmm. wife's having for dinner that night. And so it's a, an amazingly short process. Whereas the typical tomato that people might get at the supermarket or, or somewhere else, it could have been grown in Mexico and then and then picked yeah. and, and then put in the truck and refrigerated. And I think they spray this kind of gas on it that helps it ripen. By the time it, it, it gets into the supermarkets, maybe around two or three weeks, and it's just not the same thing. It's just not that full burst of flavor. Right, right. You you hit on all the things, you know, they use different things to help them ripen. They use different chemicals to help preserve some things. Um, it takes a really long time to get to us. Like I said, it decays. And you, another thing that you mentioned is how uh, they will ripen on the way. So when things don't ripen on the vine, uh, it makes it uh, it makes a huge difference in the nutrient content that's in there. We all want something that's ripening on the vine, getting that full nutrition from the plant before it gets plucked and put into our, on our plate. You know, I think a lot of people don't know what a real tomato tastes like. I mean, like a real, yeah. a real fresh tomato is really something to experience. 
Yeah, I actually didn't like tomatoes growing up. I couldn't stand them. I thought they were watery and didn't taste really good until I started growing tomatoes. And then I was like, this is good. You know, a cherry tomato right off the vine is nothing beats it, really. Um, it makes a huge, huge difference. It really does. We have a food writer for Louisiana Life uh, who lives in New Iberia. But he also tell you, he has a big garden with a lot of tomatoes. And he mentioned cherry tomatoes. Mm -hmm. He has a big spot for cherry tomatoes. And he said, let's talk about how good that is. Except just gets and eats it like candy. Uh, I really yeah. good. Yeah, and I love a good sun gold tomato. Yeah, all you need to do, like with the Creoles, is sprinkle a little pepper on it or something. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you've got, what are some other vegetables that grow especially well locally? Um, we're actually really blessed to be down here in New Orleans. We're in zone 9B, and we're in an area where we can grow a lot of different things. So a lot of things grow well here. Um, so, like, we're known for tomatoes, you know. We're known for bell peppers, garlic, onion, uh, celery, the Holy Trinity. We always grow those types of things. Um, but you really can grow lots. Collards do well. Mustard greens do well. Cucumbers all types of different melons, um, mangoes. You really can grow a lot of different things out here. People are really surprised, but because of our climate, we have a really long growing season. Um, so we can grow. The only time that like we don't grow is during the summer. So we're actually at my farm. We're about to sort of shut down right now. We're about to go into cover crop season. Um, and that's because it's a little too hot for us to grow most of the things that we're used to. Um, so we take a break for two months, but those are the only two months of the year that you really can't grow you know and i say can't with air quotes because there are plants there are varieties that can take these temperatures of 90 plus a lot of tropical fruits and melons and things like that um you made references to your farm tell me about it yeah so we have a farm on jackson avenue um right like right by jackson avenue and oc haley it's 1916 jackson ave um, and we've been there since right before COVID, we broke ground. Uh, we got on that site in partnership with the YMCA, um, which is right across the street from us on OC Haley. Um, and we've been growing there pretty consistently, getting our harvest going up more and more. We're a regenerative agriculture farm. So regenerative agriculture is uh, like a hyper-organic is an easy way to explain it. But what we're, our practices is always giving back to the earth more than we're taking. And we do that by not tilling, which sounds very strange to a lot of people because most people know you're supposed to, or taught that you're supposed to flip your soil and broad fork your soil and till your soil up. But when you do that, you actually kill life in the soil. And the life that's in the soil is everything. That is the that is your your building block. If you don't have a good foundation in your soil, you're gonna struggle with uh, low harvest, lots of pests, lots of diseases, that type of stuff. So we use a we're we don't use any chemical fertilizers, anything like that. We use plants. Like I mentioned, we're going into cover crop season. Um, cover cropping is where we use plants to fix issues in the soil. Um, so we're going to use some sun hemp, uh, Sudan grass, sunflowers to add things like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, uh, aerate the soil, things like that. Fix a lot of different issues in our soil and make it really nice and fertile without having to go use any chemical fertilizers or anything like that. Um, and by doing that, we are able to get really, really nice harvest. Um, and we're also helping bring back the biodiversity to the area. So that starts from the soil all the way up to the sky. You know, when I first got there, we had mostly roaches and mice and things like that. That, that was what was around and 
ants and now we have ladybugs and dragonflies and all types of different types of birds and butterflies and all that type of stuff and all of that like e that whole ecosystem is why we're able to have a thriving farm and it's just getting better and better um and so that's that's what we do we try to share that these types of things are possible within the city and we have lots of different uh Lots of type of lots of different demonstrations on how you can grow. We have raised beds, we have in-ground beds, uh, we have hydroponics, we have aquaponics, uh, we have containers. Uh, we grow up fences. We grow everywhere we can. We try to show people this. We have lots of different classes. All of our classes are free. Um, we have classes from uh, how to become a beginner gardener if you just want to be a hobby gardener in your backyard or on your porch, all the way up to uh, technical farmer training on how to get land, how to get insurance, uh, BCS training, all of that type of stuff. And so we really try to just be a resource hub for the community. We also have a community fridge and lots of food distribution programs as well. Well, your very first sentence in response to this question was a surprise, and that was, we're on Jackson Avenue. Yes. I mean, <laughs> no one would expect a farm to be on Jackson Avenue. I mean, That's right. You said, well, we're out in Lafouche Parish or something like that. So so tell me about that site. What was there with that? What, what used to be there? And, 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 and how was it to transform that into a farm ground? So before we got there, um, so before uh, anyone was farming there, anyone had plans for farming, there were three houses there. Um, so those houses were knocked down after Katrina and the sites have been empty pretty much since then. Um, so there's our lot, a middle lot, and then we have another lot. So there's a lot separating our two sites, um, our, our two sides of the farm. Uh, one side is the community garden side and one side is the uh, farming side that we call it. Um, and so, we got, there was nothing there when we got there. There was absolutely nothing. It was just grass and openness. And so for us to be able to grow, we were donated some raised beds um, and we started, we built up the community garden side, fill all those in. Um, and then we started digging to put in an in-ground bed. So that looked like breaking up bricks um, getting rid of lots of lots of trash and debris. Like you wouldn't believe the types of stuff we found. We found tires, picture frames, doors, uh, utensils, you name it. We were finding it in there. And like I said, layer upon layer of brick that we had to go through until we finally got down to some clean clay. Um, and then we had to get that tested. We had to test it, the soil tested um, in our grow beds and around our grow beds. And we sent that off to LSU Ag and they told us what type of contaminants, if any, that we had in there. Um, and luckily where we dug out one bed, we were pretty clear of contaminants. On our other side, we had a lot of contaminants. So we actually had to remove all of that soil. And then uh, we- What type of contaminants were they? Uh, it was a lot. It was every heavy metal you could think of, lead, boron, aluminum. Um, it was, everything was off the charts. Like every everything that you could think of uh, I think there was arsenic in there, tons of stuff. And some of these things are, they're okay in small amounts, um, but when they're in high quantities, that's when they become toxic. Uh, so it wouldn't have been good conducive to us growing plants. And then even some of the plants that we grew, they might've sucked up some of these contaminants and then would have been in the food that people were eating. Um, so to completely avoid all of that, we, we made a section where we wanted to put our largest in-ground bed. We removed all of that soil again until we hit clean clay all the bricks everything were gone and then we filled that up to ground level with uh wood chips 
And then we put uh, a nice layer, a thick layer of compost on top of that, and then built our rows out of compost. And we amend the soil. Uh, we amend the soil regularly uh, with cover crops and other organic amendments to get it up to growing status. But and there's we had to get lots of get rid of lots of weeds, do lots of trash pickup. So it was a it was a full site rehabilitation. You know, picture your average New Orleans abandoned lot um, that just has its grass cut at best. And we, we took that over and turned it into a grow space. And so now what kind of things do you grow there? Um, we grow all types of stuff. We try to grow things that are very culturally relevant. Um, so things that people are used to eating here in New Orleans, but also for things that people might not necessarily expect because New Orleans is a town full of immigrants from all over the place. And so we want people to feel at home uh, even though they're away from their original homes. Uh, so. We'll grow things uh, like, you know, traditional stuff like bell peppers, onion, garlic, uh, but then maybe we'll grow some pavolano peppers as well. Uh, we'll grow bok choy, we'll grow uh, mizunum, different types of lettuces. One of the cool things that we grew this year was Celtis lettuce. Uh, it's getting really popular in kitchens and things I'm starting to see now, but it's a Chinese lettuce that does really well in the heat down here and it's actually grown more for its stem than its leaves. And that was a really cool one to grow and give out to people this year. Um, so we try to grow things that, like I said, people are used to uh, from where they, like if, from, if they're native or maybe they're from somewhere else. And we also try to grow things that kind of pique people's interest. I like growing things that uh, are different colors that maybe someone hasn't seen like a purple sweet potato or purple carrot um, or maybe a, a black tomato things like that we'll try to try to pique people's interest by growing something a little different here and there to me one of the great vegetables of all time is eggplant do y'all grow eggplant yes we do grow eggplant this is the first year i didn't grow eggplant but we usually do grow eggplant yes um, we grow a bunch of different kinds the slim ones the big black beauties the striped ones uh we'll we do them all. And it's such a, a versatile product. You could do so many things with it. You know, you can, yeah. you can cook it like a steak. You can use it to mix things with and all that. It's, it's, it's really good. Do you grow, this is a, a point of deep personal interest. Do you grow figs? Do I grow figs? Yeah. Yes, we do. So we have another site uh, that is right by the Home Depot on Earhart. Um, it's right across the street from there. And that site has three or four fig trees on it. And we're actually harvesting figs right now. Yeah. I used to be like the food king of mid, I mean, the fig king of mid city. <laughs> and after Katrina and things changed and I've got a fig tree, it does nothing. I mean, no. you get the little green figlets, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, and usually ripen in July. So you say, ah, oh, there's the figlets, it's almost July, but they, nothing's happened. Yeah, the birds are getting to hours before we can get to most of them. Every day I show up and there's just a, a ton of birds in the trees, but we're getting some. We've had a few harvests. Um, we're just having to, you know, try to get to them every day. It would probably help also if I knew what I was doing, okay? Like the way you <laughs> talk about all the scientific mix that you have in there. And so I... But there's, a, there's a nice uh, community of growers around the city who kind of like break things down in very simple terms and kind of just make it, you know, make it easy for people and don't break it down into such scientific stuff. And that's kind of what we try to do as well, try to demystify growing because it can seem very difficult. Um, but like I try to tell people when I teach classes or go anywhere, it's like 
gardening or farming is always an experiment. You know, like you might think you know what's going to happen, but especially this year with climate change and things like that, you don't always know. So every year is really an experiment. So it's like, you know, don't don't be too hard on yourself if it didn't go your way. Uh, all right. Um, well, one of one of the store and buying a jar of fig jelly, you know. So anyway, the, <laughs> um, so so what happens to this produce? Who gets them? You go sell them or uh, give them away or how does it work? We do a little bit of both. Um, so we have uh, a food distribution program called the Growing Local Bag. It's distributed through Top Box Foods. People can order it on the Top Box website, and it's a uh, sixteen dollars normal price, eight dollars if they were to pay with EBT. Um, and that is produced. So you go on your website and you can order produce. Yeah, well, not on our website, but on uh, Top Box Foods Louisiana. Wait, what's it called again? Say one more time. Uh, Top Box Foods. Okay, Top Box Food. Louisiana. Louisiana, yes. Okay. Um, and so they are one of our partners down here. They do the delivery and their website is where you order it. Um, and so our bag consists of things from our farm and from other local farmers. Um, so that's one way that people get access to the produce that we grow. And the other is through just giving it away to people. People come to the farm all the time asking for, you know, a bunch of kale or a few bell peppers for dinner or whatever it is. And we're always more than happy to give it to them. We've uh, even had a few people like Miss Linda, the Yakamine lady. Uh, she came by right before parade sometime last year. She was making a big batch of yakimi for the police department and she needs some green onions. So we had a bunch of green onions for her. Um, so we, we, we distribute the food in lots of ways. And then we have uh, the community fridge uh, that I mentioned before, right outside of our farm. Uh, if we ever have extra harvest, we will put it in there as well. Did I hear you say a while ago, black sweet potato? Uh, a black tomato, but we okay. have purple sweet potatoes. Oh, purple sweet potato? Yes. Okay. How is that different from a regular sweet potato? Um, so it tastes very similar to a normal sweet potato. I mean, it tastes exactly the same, in my opinion. Um, but it's just a darker purple color, which gives it uh, a different, a higher nutrient content. Uh, I might be getting this wrong, but I believe it's vitamin D. So it just has a higher nutrient content than your traditional um, orange sweet potatoes. I'm talking to Michael Reshore, who's the forum director for a group called Recirculating Forms. And they have a website, recirculatingforms.org, and they're doing all kinds of great things, like with urban gardens and just um, amazing things. Is most of um, your activity in New Orleans, or does it go outside in the multi-parish area? Or now, everything that we do is in New Orleans, uh, as far as the farming side of it. We do policy at the local, state, and federal level, um, but all of our farming activities happen within the city, and most of it happens within Central City, um, because... We, when we first started in 2010, there weren't as many urban farms and uh, urban agriculture. No one really was talking about it or knew what it was. But luckily, now there's a lot more of these projects. There's a lot more community gardens and agricultural projects happening in the city. And we're really happy for that. But Central City seems to be a little left out. Um, so we focus a lot of our efforts on Central City because we have so many other amazing partners who are taking care of other areas of the city. Now, what is the group Growing Local NOLA? Growing Local NOLA is the umbrella for all of our local, uh, all of our local programming. So that's our classes, um, our food distribution bag, um, and really that that's about it. That's our programming that we have right here on the ground in New Orleans and our food distribution stuff. Um, and then we have lots of different classes as well. We have a veterans program um, that happens at the VA. I teach a class at the VA every Friday. 
Um, and then we also do classes at other with other community organizations, um, such we used to do classes a lot with the New Orleans Women's Mission. Um, we did we do classes with Luke's House Clinic. So other we'll partner up with lots of different um, local organizations. And so growing local NOLA is just the umbrella term for all of those different programs and initiatives here. Do you all participate in any of those farmers markets around town? So you will see us at uh, the Crescent City Farmers Market a lot of times. Um, we are done for right now, um, but we we don't sell at these markets. Uh, we are a resource table there. We work with a group called the Growing Local Collaborative, which is um, a group that we sort of spearheaded with other organizations, the Food Policy Action Committee, um, Liberty's Kitchen, uh, Sprout Nola, and Top Box Foods. And we are we share resources and we would go out to the farmers market to talk about food distribution um help people with ebt and just share a lot of the resources and events that we have coming up within all the orgs yeah i know there's a an appendage to your organization dealing with it aquaponics is that the uh the right name they do yes. life and that is not your area but you do listen to the conversation so maybe you can answer this question um last night for dinner, had some salmon with Bud Whole Food and it was like the farm grown salmon. And I said, Well, this seems like the ultimate. I mean, like farm grown salmon, uh, you know, each one was in a little cellophane bag uh, that you bought from Whole Food. Sounds great. And it was good. But now I read your stuff and it sounds like farm grown is not a good idea. So, what's wrong with farm grown fish? So farming fish, it depends on how the fish is farmed. So we farm fish within the aquaponics system, um, but it depends on how fish are farmed. There's ethical farming and there's unethical farming. Um, and that's kind of the theme that goes throughout most of our food system. Um, and when it comes to unethical fish farming, there's a lot of environmental hazards that go along with it. Um, such as releasing diseases, uh, overuse of antibiotics, overcrowding of fish, um, low, the fish feed that they're fed is usually very low quality. So the protein that you're getting isn't really of the highest quality. Um, and then there's also the cost of where is that farm and what are the resources that they're using? So there's just a lot of ethical questions that come with on, on uh, land-based aquaculture. Are they doing it correctly? But offshore aquaculture is a lot worse because when you do offshore aquaculture, the the ability to do harm is so much greater. Uh, you have that exposure to the open water can lead to devastating effects such as uh, an increased population of invasive spe species, um, fish who have diseases that spread and maybe mutate to other varieties. Um, you have too much food that is going into the ocean and causing debris. You have a concentrated fish waste, which can't break down naturally, which is causing um, gases to to be emitted and lower the oxygen level, which has a chain reaction causing uh, lots of different organisms to die off and that just continues to happen. You hear about like things like dead zones. Well, these pins can create similar effects uh, as like the algae bloom dead zones where it just, you know, it's too much waste to be naturally processed and it has a cascade of a negative effects on the environment around it. And so we really are trying to get away from that, which is why, or, which is why we propose that more people do ethical land-based aquaculture. So ethical land-based farming of salmon isn't so bad, but unfortunately there's not really many people doing it that way. And that is because it is more expensive um, because you're not cutting corners, you're doing things the right way. Um, so it's easy to make things cheap when you're exploiting 
people and resources. And by land base, you mean you have like ponds that have been developed inside, like like what they yes. do crawfish. I mean, crawfish is this right thing. And I think uh, tilapia uh, is mm -hmm. the formed sort of fish. And the, the way that we're farming crawfish now is a form of aquaponics. They're farming the crawfish alongside the rice in a symbiotic way. And that, that is a form of aquaponic farming. Yeah, I think that's one of the coolest things. There are two things, only two things that really grow well in flooded land, crawfish and rice, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we have them side by side, you know, we can get a yep. <laughs> fish from one piece of land right there. So um, <laughs> uh, anyway, that's good. Yeah, people are wondering about how do you have a form out in the ocean? Essentially, it's like a, a big net that's out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have fish that are within the span of that net and they all their activity is supposed to be right there. And so they guess they kind of can control what they eat and that, that sort of thing, but right. it always work out well, apparently. No, it really doesn't. The fish escape. Um, like I said, there's usually disease outbreaks that they then have to treat by dosing them with antibiotics. So those antibiotics are going into our water supply. They, the fish waste is super concentrated. The, these things get damaged by hurricanes and all types of things. And so you now have parts and debris floating around the ocean. It's a huge polluter. And it's just, it's, and it's not even an ethical way to raise fish. These fish are all on top of each other. And if fish are intelligent beings and we are treating them like they don't have feelings, like they can't think like, and uh, there's just a, there's a better way to do it. And so we're really trying to push against a lot of this legislation that's trying to allow offshore aquaculture pens to start coming off, off of our coast. Actually, they're looking to put them off the coast of Florida and off the coast of Louisiana first. You know, look about salmon is that if I were a salmon, I was one of those specific salmons and you go to the place like a, in the state of Washington, and, and you start climbing up these waterfalls, and you see all these grizzly bears uh, standing along the way. If I was intelligent, I said, "Hey, no, I think I'm going to take a different route here." I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then there are other salmon, like the Atlantic salmon, that I assume have nothing. There's none of that for them. I mean, I guess they just fish like regular fish. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a whole, I'm not super familiar on like the 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 habits of salmon, but. Yeah, I, I do. I've, I'm with you. I've seen them jumping up those, jumping up the the stairs, and they're just getting caught. But uh, I do know one thing about salmon is like their their stocks are getting depleted because it's become a very very popular fish. Tilapia was the popular fish not too long ago, and that was the one that people were farming a whole lot of. Uh, and now it seems to have shifted a bit. Uh, but it, no matter what you're farming, if it's in the ocean, it's it's not really a good look if you're doing these concentrated fish farm pens. It's kind of like imagine a cattle lot, but you just dropped it in the middle of the ocean. All of that waste and gunk and everything just going into our waterways. It, it makes it really hard for other things to survive. And it'll, it's going to knock out other fish populations that, you know, the whole marine ecosystem depends on. We haven't talked about citrus. Do you do any citrus? We don't do any citrus and it's not by choice. Uh, we have one uh, grapefruit tree. Uh, it did okay. It actually has a thing called grape uh, citrus canker, which we're trying to deal with. It lowered the production. It didn't make the fruit as well. We might have to get rid of it. Um, we do have some loquats uh, or misbeliefs, as a lot of people down here call them, but um, they are young plants, so we haven't really gotten a lot of those yet. But no, we don't, we don't do too much citrus. Okay. Now, that was one success story I had in my backyard. Grapefruit. It did those pink grapefruit. And it was like a factory. It, it really did. 
the problem was there wasn't a lot of people that wanted grapefruits. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, hey, you know, I've got a barrel full of grapefruit. Once I'm uh, doctor says I shouldn't have grapefruit, you know, so <laughs> uh, it was hard to reach the market. What if somebody's listening and say, this sounds like something I want to do. They just have like a small plot of land in their backyard though. I mean, you know, they can't think what would be a simple thing that someone who wants to do this can do that you recommend. If you want to start growing and you have any space at all, I would say just get get going. And the first thing to do um, is to, you know, determine your space. How much space do you have? And then you can figure out exactly what you want to grow um, because but space is going to determine what you're able to grow. So first thing is first determine what, where you can grow and how much space you have and then just decide what you want to grow. And there's a ton of guides out there. LSU Agriculture Center has a lot of guides. Um, there's a lot of good Facebook groups. Um, Anna Timmerman is uh, someone who lives locally and she works for the uh, Agricultural Extension Agent at LSU. She's great. Um, LSU really is a great, great resource. You can reach out to any agricultural extension agent. And if you are listening and you aren't in Louisiana or if you're not in New Orleans, there's agricultural extension agents all over the state. And every state has an agricultural extension agency. It's usually tied to a land grant college. For us, that's LSU. Um, and so that's a great place to look. Uh, we have a lot of great videos on YouTube on how to get started growing. We have like a basic beginner uh, starting guide on YouTube. Um, and, you know, the Internet is your friend. The Internet is 100 percent your friend. YouTube University can teach you a lot about growing. Um, and don't be scared. Just, you know, get your hands in the dirt, plant some seeds. And if it doesn't work the first time, just try again next season. I mean, what you do is very fulfilling. I mean, probably a lot of times you really feel good about being able to see things that grew. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a very fulfilling job. It's a hard job, though. I, I will say that I feel like farming is very like glamorized and it's like nice and pretty, uh, but it's hard. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of digging and, uh, you know, just taking care of plants out there in the heat. But it is fulfilling. And really, the most fulfilling part is seeing the way that people interact with the space that's what i get the most out of and people come and they're excited to get a bunch of collars or they're even just happy to see the 16 foot tall sunflowers we have growing i'm just excited to see other people happy with this space because i know that those are things that are missing from new orleans in a good for the most part and so i'm really happy to bring that type of fulfillment to other people's lives that's what fills me up those tall sunflowers, it's fairly new. I mean, I've never seen them before the last couple of years. Did somebody bring them into the economy or did they grow them or how did that happen? Um, so ours, we got seeds from a company called Botanical Interest. Um, they, these are a Mongolian giant variety. Um, we grew giant sunflowers last year, but they didn't get this tall. Uh, we really think our soil really improved over the year because um, last year they got about maybe 10 feet tall, but these things are taller than the power lines this year. It's wild. <laughs> and the heads are giant. We have 13, 15 inch heads of sunflowers, giant heads. Um, so we're pretty excited. We're going to do another round of them. Yeah. Everyone seems to love them. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing sight to see that. Well, look, thank you very much. Thanks for the information. Thank you for what you do. You're doing something really Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, important. Really quickly, if somebody wants to get involved with your programs, what can they do? Um, so if anyone wants to get involved with recirculating farms, you can check us out on Instagram. We're recirc farms. That's R E C. IRC Farms. Um, that is us on most social media. Um, and then you can also reach out to us via our email. So if you go to our, our website, 
you can click contact and all of our emails are there. Um, my email is mrichard at recirculatingfarms.org. You can reach out to me at any time. And we usually post all of our things on social media. So if we have classes or bags or anything like that going on, uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Google, you can always stay up to date with us there. Okay, so mrichard at recirculatingforms.org. Yes. Right, okay. That's probably the easiest way to do it. Okay. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you all. Gotta go check to see there are any crows out in the field, you know. So <laughs> yeah, they we've been in a lot of those too. I didn't have any for a while, but those sunflowers really brought them over. Oh, really? Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll have a good one. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.